Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you are a good and faithful God. You're a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. You're a God who is holy and just and right. You are pure and perfect. You have a hatred for sin that runs uh, to the core of your character. Uh, and because not only does it rob you of glory, but it um, harms us. And so we come this morning and just ask that in light of all that you are and uh, all that we are, that you would teach us, that you would open our eyes, that you would um, speak to us today uh, about the love that was displayed in this uh, event that has shaped history. And more than that, it has changed our lives. So we pray for open eyes and hearts of great affection. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 15. Beginning of verse 1, God's word says this. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consolation and the, of the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And again, Pilate asked him, have you no answer to make? Do you see how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release uh, for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And a crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to him, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him mixed wine with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide who would each would take. It was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him, 
to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those with him, those crucified with him, also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lam shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard him saying, behold, he's calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come down and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And there was a centurion who stood facing him. Saw in the way in which he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man is the son of God. This is the way that Christ died. And I want us to focus on the beginning of this chapter. It's for a few moments this morning where Jesus being delivered to Pilate comes before this governor, this man who is meant to rule in judgment over him. And we see an interesting exchange. Uh, when, when the chief priests and the elders had delivered Jesus over to Pilate, he asked them, what accusations do you have? Like, what did this man do? And John's account of this in John 18, uh, 29 to 31 says this. So Pilate went outside and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not be delivering him over to you. And Pilate said to them, well, then take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. That gives a real indication of we don't care what crimes he's committed. We don't care what you want us to accuse him of as long as it ends in death. And Pilate said, what's your accusation? They said, well, if he wasn't doing evil, we wouldn't have brought him. That's not an answer. And then they conclude, well, we can't judge him rightly because we all want him to die. No matter what you judge him with, we want death. And that's all we're here for is blood. It's amazing because Pilate says here in verse 3, chief priests accuse him of many things and Pilate asks him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Luke gives account of at least three of the charges. Luke 23 verse 1 and 2 says, the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man to be, number one, misleading our nation. Number two, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. And number three, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. It's interesting, those three accusations that Luke records specifically are all lies. They're all lies. Yes, Christ said that he himself was Christ, a king, but the um, context in which they are presenting this was he's here to overthrow Rome. That, that's what he's setting himself up as, is, as a monarchy over the people. He's going to wage war on you. That's what Christ is here to do. That's what they were presenting. That's what they were accusing him of. Forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. You remember what Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? There's no way he did that. And so then when Pilate asked them further, he said, what accusation? They said, well, he's clearly doing evil. Just kill him already. They brought many accusations against him, but you think of who this is. 
all the accusations in the world they could bring against him to find any guilt would always come up empty. He was not guilty of a thing. He was not guilty of a wrong action, a wrong attitude, a wrong thought. Jesus was not guilty through and through. He was the sinless son of God. So any accusation against him would have been false if it meant that he was guilty or not innocent. And Pilate sees that. As a man who understands the, the, the law and, and has now tried this, Jesus, he says, I find him not guilty. In uh, John's account, it says this. A pilot asked them, this is the, after their exchange inside, and he said, well, you know, that exchange where he talks about what is truth. And then when he had discussed these things with Jesus, he went back outside and he told the people, I find no guilt in him. I find, like I've examined, and I find no guilt. There's nothing I can pin on this guy. Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds in Luke, he says, I also, I find no guilt in this man. And we know Pilate uh, really believed he was innocent. He really believed Jesus was innocent, and, and he, which is amazing that he still allowed it all to go through, right? Because his, his wise wife was telling him, don't involve yourself. His conscience was telling him, don't involve yourself. The facts were telling him, don't involve yourself. He even concluded that. I find no guilt in this man. There's nothing worthy of this man being tried and convicted. I would throw his case out of the courts because there's zero evidence against this man. And, he, and he, we know that's true of Pilate because in Matthew's account, uh, in chapter 27, 24, it says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to be uh, a part of this because I think this man is innocent. So if he's going to die, I don't want it to be on me. Because I don't want to kill an innocent man. That's wrong to kill an innocent man. If you read the Gospel of John, it has a, a kind of a fuller account of this exchange back and forth. Uh, Pilate going out and coming back in and speaking with Jesus and going out to the crowds. He went out a number of times, but each time he went out... Um, it says that he declared, I find no guilt in him. John 19, 4. Pilate went out again and said, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then it carries on. It says, So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to, him, said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So then Pilate turned to Jesus and he said, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him saying, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You're only able to do what you're doing because my Father has granted you that authority. And I'm here now giving you the authority to go through with what you need to do. But Pilate says, I have the authority to release you. I could just throw this thing out. I could tell the crowds, enough's enough. He's clearly not guilty. Get on with your day. I have that authority. Jesus says, so you do. But it's not yours. It's given to you by God. And this is the way of God.
This is exactly what Jesus knew was to take place. But you think, he's declared not guilty before the human courts, not guilty before the heavenly courts. Right? Now, on that same day as he stood um, as a criminal before Pilate, declared not guilty but treated like a criminal, he stood before the throne of God. Also not guilty. Also God, the Father, would have said, I find no fault in him. I find no guilt in him. Verse 14, I love the way Mark poses this question of Pilate. It says, why? Why would I crucify him? What evil has he done? What evil has he done? You come up empty. You can search for a thousand years. People have been searching for more than 2,000 years to try to find something they can pin on Jesus of a wrongdoing. There's nothing. What evil has he done? Nothing. But imagine for a moment if you were standing in his place. If you were standing there, Right? Because the whole idea that we, we, we come to and we think about Good Friday is when Jesus stood on my behalf and took all that for me. Well, if you would have been standing there before Pilate and before the crowds, they would not have even cared. If you had a rap sheet a mile long, they wouldn't have cared. So who are you? You're no big deal. And you definitely, likely, would not have been crucified. The aliens and slaves, like uh, foreigners and slaves, were crucified, and normally only for uh, a public display of you will not uh, push it back against our government. Uh, it, it was, and if so, you, the Romans, anyways, got a fair trial. But you, you would have had maybe a trial. They would have said, oh, okay, yeah, let them off with 20 years. Who cares? You would not have stood before uh, Pilate and likely been crucified or likely been flogged or beaten, even if you were. It's because you deserved it. It's because you deserved the punishment. He says, what evil has he done? Answers, nothing. But if you were there, what evil have you done? The list goes on and on and on. Day after day, we add to the list uh, all the accusations that could be made against us. We add to it every day, and they're not false accusations. They're not lies. They're true. Our guilt is unbearable. Especially if you think about this, this accusation, this trial that Jesus is under, we wouldn't have lasted a moment. Our guilt is great. We are sinful through and through. Romans chapter 3 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us is righteous. We all have the stain of sin upon us. But would standing before Pilate, being flogged and crucified, have fixed that for us? No. Even if you were literally in that situation, you were hung up on that cross that day, that would not have freed you from your guilt. It would have satisfied Pilate. It would have satisfied the crowds, perhaps, if they really wanted to make a public display of a person. But it would have not have satisfied your guilt, and it would have not forgiven you. So when we think about the forgiveness of Jesus, it's not just about the fact that he was flogged. It's not about the fact that the Pilate said, you can crucify him. It wasn't about the fact that he was dragged to the streets, publicly shamed, abused, spit on, mocked, hurled insults at. That's not what was the important part of the crucifixion. Those parts of his earthly physical suffering, they, they draw us into the reality that he didn't deserve this. But that 
punishment was not what saved us. It wasn't. That's not what he was agonizing over in the garden uh, the night prior. He was agonizing over the cup. The wrath of God due the sin that he would be accused of, not by the chief priests, but by your guilt and my guilt upon himself. Our guilt, our sin, our stain upon him. So when, when Pilate would look at him, Pilate could have said, all right, bring up your rap sheet. You want to stand on their behalf? All right, well, we'll try you for that. But when he got to the cross, our guilt was upon him. Our sin was upon him. And we were due a punishment. And it wasn't flogging. And the punishment you're due is not crucifixion. It's not lethal injection. It's not the electric chair. That would not satisfy the punishment owing to you and to me. Romans 1.18 tells us what we are guilty of and what the punishment is true to be. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We push God away. We defame God. We say no to God and yes to sin. No to God and yes to ourselves. And so it says, For the wrath of God is revealed against these people. Or Colossians chapter 3 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but the wrath of God was coming. Not the electric chair. Not physical death. The wrath of God was coming on these things. Ephesians chapter 5 says uh, in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is not just coming in the world in general. It's not just thinking about the apocalypse and how he's going to really cleanse and purify the earth. It says there, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It comes upon you and upon me for our sins. The wrath of God is what we deserve for our guilt. We stand before any court, they would always say guilty. Always. We stand before the holy God who sees the intentions of our hearts. He says guilty. Guilty. And not just guilty because you, you know, maybe you took a pen that wasn't yours and so you, you sinned against someone else. Guilty against him. Guilty against the one who made you, who gives you the breath of life. And wrath is owing our guilt. So that's where we look again to the cross and say, it wasn't simply about the scourging and about the shame and about the, the mocking and the ridicule it wasn't about the asphyxiation, the inability to breathe, the, the ripping pain of the nerves and the muscles. It wasn't purely about that. Those were all things that pointed to the agony of the heart of Christ that we see at that hour when it got dark. And God was dissatisfied with the one who was there. It says in Ephesians 5, I just read it, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. 
So when God the Father looked on Christ at that cross in that moment, he did not look on him and say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He looked on him because you and said, I am displeased. He is standing before me as a disobedient son, a disobedient daughter, and I have a hatred toward disobedience. God looked on him displeased. The earth went dark. It shook. People knew there was a displeasure of God. Right there, when when Christ died, he took on the weight of our guilt and the torture of our wrath. That's what makes this so amazing. Because even though Pilate asked the question, what evil has he done? And on a horizontal level, with all eyes on him, the answer was nothing. Same with if God the Father, ten minutes prior to when your sin was placed upon him, if God the Father, the judge of all the earth, would look on him and say, well, what evil has he done? The answer was nothing. Until your sin was placed upon him. And then he looked upon him and he said, count him as guilty. Try him as guilty in the heavenly throne room. And we know that those who sin deserve to die. And not just die in a physical way. Those who sin deserve to be separated from the mercy and the love and the cherishing of God. So that's what he experienced for us. Romans 3, uh, 22 through 25 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We rob him of glory. We spit in his face and say, you're not worthy. And we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, as a wrath-absorbing sacrifice. That's what he was. He put him forward in penal substitutionary atonement. He was penalized on your behalf. If he wasn't, your sin remains. If he wasn't penalized, then then God is unjust. But he was penalized as your substitutionary atonement. Says there, God put forward as a propitiation, wrath-absorbing propitiation by his blood. This is to be received by faith. And it was to show the righteousness of of God. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. God was patient against judging sin. God was patient with you and with me, but he poured out his righteousness, his right judgment, his right hatred for sin, his right punishment for sin. He poured it out on his own son. It says there in verse 25, this was to show his righteousness. He poured out the judgment on Christ. Romans 4:25 says Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. For our trespasses he was delivered up, counted as a trespasser, counted as a sinner for my sin and yours, delivered up not before Pilate, but before God. Stood before his own father as a trespasser, as one who stepped over the line and said no. As one who stepped over the line and said, you're not worthy. It's unfathomable to think about. 
You know, Jesus never would have done that. Aside from his perfection and his divinity, he never would have done that because he loves his father so. But yet, he was delivered up for our trespasses. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming upon sin, and we are saved by Christ from the wrath. And it's not because Jesus stood there on the cross and said, you know what, God? Forget about it. You know what? You, you love them. I love them. Let's just forget about their sin. But that would not make God just. It would not make him holy. It would not make him loving because he gets, lets people get away with stuff. No, in his love, it says there, we are saved by Christ from the wrath of God by his blood. John 3 Chapter 6, uh, verse 16, most well-known verse in the world, into 17 and 18, shows us this truth. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but... Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Condemned already. Guilty. Punishment coming. Condemned already. If you do not believe in the Son, you're already condemned. The wrath of God is weighing upon you, ready to come for you. In Romans, it tells us that we are storing up wrath for ourselves. If we are unrepentant and we don't turn from that sin, that that is storing up wrath against us, not just the world. The end of John chapter 3 says, Whoever believes the Son has eternal life, verse 36. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It remains on him if Christ hasn't taken it for him. The wrath goes one of two places. On you or on Christ. It doesn't get brushed away ever. And so when the question posed by Pilate is, what evil has he done? The answer across the board in heaven and on earth is nothing. And the amazing thing is, before Pilate, the answer was still nothing. But on the cross, before God, it became everything. What evil has he done? He stood there. And you know your evils. You know your list of sins, the the bitterness of your heart, the anger of your heart, the greed, whatever it is in you, that day, Christ was declared guilty of. Guilty. What evil has he done? Really nothing. But now he says, I'll take it all. I will take their evil and I will be counted as wicked before my father. It's, it's profoundly wrong. It's unfair. But it's the only way. It's the only way. Either the wrath of God's coming on your sin, on you, or it's coming out on Christ. What wrong has he done? Pilate found him not guilty. But God found him and declared him guilty because of you. The just, the holy one, the righteous one of all the earth now stands condemned. Condemned by God. 
What wrong have you done? Imagine for a moment you stand before Pilate. The list would be huge. But when you stand before God, the list is ten times longer. We're fully exposed. We are fully exposed before God, deserving the verdict of guilty. For all of our wrong actions, all of our wrong attitudes, we are guilty. Not just towards self or others, but towards the one who gives us breath. We sin against him with that breath. We're guilty. Infinitely guilty towards an infinitely holy God. The deserving of death, infinitely punished. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. 1 John 2, 2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The sins that you are guilty of today, if you have trusted in Christ, they are on him. If you've thrust your guilty self upon Jesus, you lay your sin down upon his shoulders, not just aside. Not just coming to Jesus saying, hey, let's just forget about this sin, Jesus. The only way to be forgiven is by saying, Jesus, you need to be punished for this. That is amazing to think about. How how some people think they can be so bold about their faith before Jesus. No, to come before Jesus is the most humbling thing you can ever do. You're on your face saying to the righteous one, you got to be counted guilty. you got to be punished because of me. That's what we do. We lay it upon his shoulders. We see him die in your place. Bear the wrath of God on your behalf. If you trust that he has satisfied God's anger by being sufficient. Believing him when he said it is finished. Then in Christ, now you are declared not guilty. (laughs) Not guilty. Forgiven. There is no condemnation left from God for you. None whatsoever because it was all poured out on Christ. Every last drop of God's wrath on your sin has been drinking by Christ. Forgiven. Free. Because in your place, in my place, condemned, he stood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let me pray. Oh God, you are holy. You are just and right. God, the crucifixion makes no sense to us. No one could have ever made up the story of a king who would die for his people in such a way to be counted as guilty, not just before uh, the judge of the earth, but before you. We thank you for the sacrifice, the shed blood by our Lord and Savior that it was the atoning sacrifice for our sin before you once for all. Help us to never forget the wonder of this cross, to never cease to worship you, give you all the praise and the glory that you deserve because of what you have done, the unthinkable, the unthinkable, the righteous for the unrighteous. Oh God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be stirred up for great affection towards him as he deserves. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.